Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in today's podcast, I am back with Dr. Fasana Hussein. Those of you will know Fasana if you listen to our series together called the PCM Diaries. And also today I am joined or we are joined by Fiona Claridge. Fiona works for the NHS Confederation, which is a membership organisation and body representing the voices of many organisations and many parts of the national health system, raising the profile of specific issues and acting as an advocate and representing the voice of the many sectors that make up the NHS. We wanted to have this conversation together to provide another perspective on what is happening as a result of the coronavirus in primary care, but also in other parts of the system. So Fuzana and Fiona bring um, slightly different perspectives due to where they work on a day-to-day basis, but also Fuzana does have a role within the NHS Confederation, which we will share in the main body of this podcast. We talked about leadership lessons, how well primary care has implemented digital technology, the role of patients, innovation, what is on the horizon, challenges, how to support our self-care. It was it was jam-packed full of insights and reflections of what is happening during this difficult time. So I just wanted to highlight, with us all working from home, we're all recording this podcast from our homes, the sound uh, may dip in and out, you may hear some dings, um, I had to give my kids the look, <laughs> so I was recording this just to say, not make a sound. Um, so I hope that that's okay, I think in these times, at the best of times, as I say, sometimes done is better than perfect. It's a, This is a fantastic um, conversation, really insightful. I think the NHS Confederation are doing amazing things and they're really um, working hard to get to understand all parts of the system. And you know Fazana, she is amazing. And I think that she has got lots of leadership insights that regardless of where you work, that you can take on board and implement. So as always, we would ask that you like and share it on social media and enjoy the episode and I will see you in the next one. Hi, thank you both so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Uh, I'm very well today, thank you. Uh, we're, We're managing okay, I think a rapid pace, but doing all right. So today I am joined by Dr. Fazana Hussein. Some of you will know if you listen to our series called The PCN Diaries. And we're also joined by Fiona Claridge. Fiona is part of the NHS Confederation. And the three of us thought it'd be really good to come together to have a discussion around how primary care is adjusting and managing and rising to the challenge of managing the coronavirus so we're going to have a conversation today and just be really frank and really honest on what it's like down on the ground so Fiona could I ask you could you give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself where you work and what you do yeah hi 
really good to speak to you both. So I'm the regional lead for London and the East at the NHS Confederation and my role is about supporting the NHS Confederation members across London and the East of England and for the Confederation our role is really around supporting our members and we represent the healthcare system across um, England, Wales and Northern Ireland so we have um, we have members of acute trusts, we represent CCGs, we represent mental health trusts, some independent um, healthcare members, as well as primary care networks. So it's really a whole NHS perspective. And we also link in with other organisations um, like local authorities to look at how we can support the way the NHS works more broadly in areas. And when you say you represent these organisations, what are you representing them for? So part of it is around representing their views, so to ensure that their voice is heard. So some of that may be actually influencing on their behalf, so picking up on issues that they've raised and influencing. It might be providing them with support, so on issues where they think that there are things that we could do to help them, we'll provide support, maybe briefings, and providing certain information to them. Um, It's a real range of things, but uh, particularly at the moment around the COVID crisis, it's about representing their voice and making sure that the issues that they're feeling are being represented and that we are giving them a voice across the system. Great. Fazana, could you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction? Yes, of course. Um, So I'm Fazana Hussain. I'm a GP in Newham in East London uh, at the Project Surgery, and I'm also clinical director for Newham Central One. That's one of our 10 primary care networks, and we're made up of seven practices, and we look after 66,000 of our residents. So let's dive in. One of the positive things that have come out so far of the coronavirus is how quickly primary care organisations have adopted technology and have gone to online consultations and total triage. Fazana, how has that felt in reality? Okay, Tara. So in 18 years as a GP, I have never seen anything like this. And while, um, of course, coronavirus is, you know, a a very serious thing and and it's causing, sadly, some deaths, I can honestly tell you I have never been more excited with the pace of change and seeing that impact that's happening uh, nationally across general practice. I have never enjoyed my work so much. Um, As you said, um, my own practice, 5,000 patients we implemented online consultations in in a day and we we had had that facility from January 2019 and we were sort of doing it half-heartedly in one day we decided as a team uh, we were going to go for it and in under in under three weeks we would never go back now Uh, colleagues have implemented telephone consultations turned it around from that traditional 10-minute face-to-face model this rapid pace of change it's happened in under two weeks across the country and that is phenomenal I would never have believed it if you had said to me even four months ago that this was possible and it just shows how agile general practice is and how fantastic general practice is. Fiona what have you seen from other parts of the system regarding the implementation of technology? I think what Fazana says is really, really important and she's absolutely right. I think there are some really exciting changes and one of the things that we've been hearing from our members is that we can't go back to normal. We can't go back to the way things were because there's been so much progress and I think people are, you know, one of the things we've heard is the ability to 
change things so quickly and whether that's things like setting up outpatients clinics and fracture clinics and previously things that would have taken months and now they're able to do them online but also the speed at which people can get through those appointments and actually they're seeing more patients by doing things in a different way and that's really really making great progress and hopefully if we continue to work in that way we'll help with some of the future because we know that there is going to be a bit of a backlog in certain areas. Fazana, where you say, or lots of people have said it, it'll be really hard to go back kind of how things w- were the way they were. And I was having a conversation yesterday with someone was saying, you know, a patient is never going to want to sit in a waiting room again. Why is that such a good thing? Okay, so um, I think touching on the point that Fiona made, when we say, would we go back to normal? I think this is the new normal. I think this is the new normal. I think we've discovered that actually there's a much more efficient way of doing things. So why would I want to waste my patient's time to come in, taking time to travel, taking time off work, taking time away from their families to sit in a waiting room, to sit there bored, just to come in to spend 10 minutes with me when I can do that for them online on the telephone, on the video, and of course, still offer to see them if that's what's necessary. So I think we need to remember that the face-to-face option hasn't gone away at the moment because of the coronavirus infection threat. We are trying our best to minimize infection risk and hence see as few people as possible. But of course, the face-to-face option is still there. We're still seeing people in hubs in our practices. But I think this is just a far more efficient way, not just for GPs and nurses and our primary care teams, but for the patients as well. And I think for me, what's been really useful is having that honesty with our patients to say we're all learning together and their buy-in and their adaptability has been phenomenal I would not have been able to do this without uh, my patients at the project surgery believing in me believing that actually we're going to get through this together I don't think there is going to be a back to normal I think this is the new normal. Fiona do you have anything to add regarding that? I think the point around patience is really important and there, there needs to be a recognition that this will work really really well for some patients but not for all patients And so when we talk about the new normal and we talk about the use of technology, there's a recognition that for some patients, this is absolutely what they've been waiting for and they will embrace this and they will definitely love the changes that have been made. But there will be patients who will still find the use of technology frightening and scary and we need to be mindful of remembering that and being able to offer them the, the different engagement that they need as well. If we move on, Fazana, we've had lots of conversation about this, the leadership skills that we are having to flex and utilise at the moment and kind of going and seesawing between leadership and management and when to be more directive and then when to be more collaborative. How have you found this at the moment? Yeah, so Tora, that's a really interesting one because I've been reflecting really on a daily basis about what leadership skills and styles I've needed. And I've needed to use absolutely all the skills that I've learned from QI skills to my educational role skills and um, trainers to everything I learned on, for example, my Source for Networks training. So the, the thing, the theme for me that's coming through though is if I've been honest and I've been really genuine about why 
I'm trying to do something, people have come on board with me. So Fiona very rightly was talking about digital is not going to be for everybody. So um, saying to patients who are more used to the face-to-face, do you want to try the telephone? And if it doesn't work out, we can see each other face to face, but really having that honesty about why we're trying to do something. So I I had a patient who really wanted for his, um, he had mechanical back pain, didn't need a face to face consultation, but really wanted one. And so I phoned him and I said, do do you really want this? If you do, I, I will do it for you. But there is a risk every time you come out of the house that, you know, you're potentially putting yourself at a risk of infection. Once that was explained to him, he was absolutely fine. So I think for me, the leadership skills whether that's with patients whether that's with my practice team whether that's with my network team um, other people it's about being honest being very clear with my communication about what it is I'm trying to achieve but then listening to their views about what what is it they're trying to achieve have we got a shared purpose but being really clear and direct and I will give a, a specific example which I think was I would say one of the hardest days of my life two weeks ago and one of the biggest successes. So as you know, all general practices had to stay open over the Easter bank holiday period. At that time when that was announced, NHS England hadn't been able to give us any information about reimbursement. So practices were doing this, our staff were doing this without knowing whether they would be paid. I know that since it has has been uh, communicated. Um, So I said to my team, you know, I'm happy to give you a day in lieu for that, uh, but I will need you all to, to, to come in. And, you know, just like many people, two members of staff were really not too happy. They had had plans already made. It is their, they've got families, their Good Friday, their Easter Monday. And I, when you're under pressure as a leader, I think your values come out. And I was very direct. And I said, you're either with me on this or you're not. This is not for me. This is for the 5,000 patients that we serve at the project surgery. And if anybody wants to resign, I will be flexible about the notice period. And I just stopped. And as soon as I had said it, I thought, whoa, that was quite a thing to say. Two days went by. I was quiet. They were quiet. Within two days, both those members of staff came to me and they said, of course, we will do this. We just needed it. We were just taken by surprise. We needed a little time. I was so proud of them. If I could have hugged them, I would have hugged them. But it showed me that sometimes you really need to be clear about what you want and why you want it. These are times of saving lives. And I wanted to be clear about that. And I needed people on my team to stand up and be counted. It wasn't the time for distributive leadership. And it worked. Fiona, how about you? Because in your position, you are representing lots of voices. You are in demand and have to go to lots of meetings and switch between lots of different organisations within the NHS. What does leadership look like for you in this time of crisis? Yeah, I think think for the Confederation, I think in particular, it's around being um, a trusted leadership voice and thinking about actually being very responsible in the things that we say, thinking about how we represent our members and their views and their needs but actually having those conversations sometimes privately if we need to in order to make sure that the things that they're saying are heard and are acted upon um, and that the you know the decisions are being made and are being taken I think one of the things that we're hearing more broadly about leadership is actually I think exactly as Fazana said you know during a crisis like this people will switch very much to control and command and it's, it's a different style of leadership potentially 
but we're also hearing about the different ways of having um, visible leadership virtually and feeding into the kind of technology point that we were talking about earlier. People are having to adopt a very different style of leadership and having to think about how they can have um, visible leadership in a very different way, but also thinking about how do they provide the leadership, but also thinking about keeping up staff morale. And I think that's been one of the things that we've heard that's really important during this is part of it is really about how do you continue in something like this, where it's a very, very ongoing incident, continue to keep up morale because it's a long-term thing to keep people coming into work every day. Definitely. Primary care is quite a small world. And I think it's really important for people to hear when you've got an organisation that represents the voice of many, how do you make sure you represent the voice of many? And what is your, what's your professional relationship with Fazana? It's a really good point. So um, the, the NHS Confederation launched its primary care network earlier this year. Um, so it's a relatively new network for us and we haven't done huge amounts in terms of representing primary care previously. Um, so for us, it's really been trying to understand the needs and concerns and to ensure that they're addressed nationally. And I think COVID has given us an opportunity, I would say, to actually look at what's going on and how can primary care be represented and giving it the voice that it needs. Because I think it, it's very different from the acute sector where there are um, very, very visible leaders, very national leaders with big national roles, but also it's a smaller sector. So it's much easier for them to come together and to have that voice. Um, and one of the things that we've been trying to do is look at how we can actually start to give that voice to primary care and to recognise those issues. I think in terms of how we work with um, Fazana, we have a primary care network, so we have a group of clinical directors and Fazana is um, one of our co-chairs, which is fantastic for us. So um, it's about getting the information from them and they're, they're really active in feeding into us the ongoing concerns that they have and the issues and things that we could be doing to represent them and to feed those things back, but also working with the other parts of the conference. So we've been doing a lot of work with NHS clinical commissioners, um, looking at how clinical commissioners are working with primary care during this period and things that we can do jointly um, across the primary care network and the clinical commissioning network. Fiona, we had a really interesting conversation kind of offline where we were talking about the NHS and when you're not in one part of the system, you know, like it seems a bit alien. So I'm in primary care. I understand you've got an acute background or you've worked in um, ambulance services. Sometimes it seems disjointed. And I think how is the CONFED highlighting, actually, when sometimes we say the NHS, we don't really mean the NHS. When people say the NHS, they mean hospitals, they mean the acute services. How can you highlight, actually, when we say the NHS, we're not all talking about the same system? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we very much talk about the NHS and what we mean are hospitals, what we mean is the acute sector. And when, we, when we're talking about some of the things that are going on at the moment, we are highlighting things that are specific to one part of the NHS and that may work for one part of the NHS, but don't work for all of it. And I think we've seen that um, where we might talk about something to do with um, PPE, recognising that the issues that we're talking about or the, the things that we're talking about are in relation to hospitals, but we're hearing a very different story from primary care. So what we've been trying to do is to ensure that through our different networks, we're representing the different voices across the whole NHS to say that, yes, you might be sending um, 
PPE out to the hospitals, but we're still hearing from primary care that they're not getting adequate supplies. Or we might be having a conversation in one part saying that actually things are very joined up and they're hearing, they're having lots of conversations and they're really getting the right um, communications, but actually we're hearing in another part of the system that that's not the case. So we're trying to represent the different voices and to say that actually, whilst we might talk collectively as one NHS, there are many different parts to the NHS and what's happening in one bit of it is not necessarily representative of the rest of it. Fazana, what messages are you feeding into the CONFED around primary care and what they need and some of the challenges they're experiencing at this time? Yes, Tara. So, um, you know, I'm delighted to be co-chair of the PCNCD network along with Mark Spencer. And as Fiona is saying, I mean, Fiona and and Ruth and many members of CONFED kindly came down to one of our primary care network meetings before lockdown, didn't they, Tara, just to see and get the views. And um, we are very fortunate as the co-chairs that we will also be going to meetings where all the other providers that that Fiona just mentioned are present to have our primary care network voice on there and that's a a meeting of you know acute trust at housing lots of people so we will be feeding into those meetings Mark and myself and I would also say that um just having the um, there's 14 of us the CDs representing uh, each region to just having we, we you know we've got a whatsapp group and some of us haven't even met each other yet face to face but I can honestly say I wouldn't be getting through the last few weeks without them we talk every day on the group together we share sadnesses we share fears we share uh, um, learning that the amount of apart from the technology change the amount of sharing and learning that people have given their work so generously I mean Rupa one of our um, CDs had made a remote consultation uh, protocol she just shared that with us generously and said give it to other people that sort of national learning that's coming through quickly to help us is amazing and I, I I'm not just saying this because I'm on this podcast that those CDs have been absolutely my lifeline I call them my virtual partners Um, they have seen me through this so I I really do think that we're in a fantastic place for primary care to be represented uh, with you know through CONFED and be part of the the um, NHS machine and really to have our voices on the table. So next thing I wanted us to talk about was patient education and one of the reasons why the adoption of digital has been so well received is because patients have got on board and I think they're the national messages and local messages around what services to access and when. What lessons do you think we can take from this crisis into the future because when I work with PCNs and training hubs what comes up again and again is managing patient expectations but all of a sudden it feels like the message has resonated well or do you think the message has resonated actually that's my opinion but do you think actually patients are following the instructions around staying at home staying safe calling services appropriately so I think yes I think the the people are following the instructions and part of that is evidenced by the fact that our sort of non-COVID problems have gone down in general practice. I think people 
going to A&E attendances have gone down to the point where we're a bit concerned that actually some emergencies that should be going, like chest pains, aren't going. Um, I have a slight problem with those terms, managing patients' expectations, patients taking instruction. I think that one of the difficulties we've had, which I would love to, and I think we can turn around with this crisis, is that we talk about patients as if they're some sort of aliens that we do things to in healthcare. We have to manage their expectations. They have to take our instruction. What this has shown me is that actually we really need to put our money where our mouth is. If we're going to talk about partnership working with patients, we need to do it. And that's what's got me through. So a very specific example is um, we've started at Project Surgery um, running a drive-through childhood immunizations clinic for the nurse because people are not coming to inject their children. And that's obviously of paramount importance we still need to protect against other infectious diseases but people are scared um, and we want to make sure that we minimize the contact between um, parent and nurse and, and baby and nurse so so they can drive drive in as it were just like mcdonald's but not quite mcdonald's stay in the car and we will actually give the injections in the car so it takes under two minutes of face-to-face -face contact and we'll write the records up and do everything else inside and, and do that um, digitally but this is a very new system and we just tried it on Tuesday and just did it and one of the um, dads was saying actually uh, I think the, the 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 baby might be cold because this particular family didn't have a car uh, you know I mean Newham uh, quite socially deprived area they came in the pusher and he said can we come in and I said it's not that I don't want to invite you in, but we have more ventilation out here and we're going to actually see you for a shorter time. And we do know that sadly there's been a six month old baby. It was on the BBC News that had coronavirus admitted with that. As soon as I had explained my reasoning for that, he was absolutely fine. And I apologized at the end saying, you know, I know this is really weird. I'm really sorry. We're learning. And he reassured me and he said, we're all learning. And I know you're doing your best. And to be honest, again, it would have been another hug moment normally because he had that much faith in us trying to do our best. And we actually leveled with him. And I think that doesn't happen as much as it should do. I know it doesn't happen as much as it should do and I think that that needs to continue if there's one thing that can stay is the new normal after this it's that we actually have trust in our patients we believe that they will help us use the services correctly and we don't sell them down the river thinking that they don't know because they do if we're honest with them. Fiona do you have anything to add? Yeah I think a big part of patient behaviour is dictated by what's available to them. And so by changing the way that we deliver services to them, we will see a shift in behavior. People go to surgeries and book appointments um, because they don't have, that's the way that we deliver things. But if we're delivering telephone appointments, we're taking away the fear, we're taking away the things that people worry about, where they feel the need to come in just to ask a question that they could very easily have solved over the telephone. So I think there probably will be a shift so long as we continue to maintain the ways that we're now working as opposed to going back to the way that we previously delivered care. And, and I think that people will see that actually things that they maybe would have attended for previously that they've not attended for during this period, they might have a change in behaviour because they've recognised they don't need to go in future. Do you think that if we're going to keep some of this new ways of working and people working remotely, 
what will happen to the physical premises of the general practice? Will you need as many? I think that the hub working that's already happening in many areas is sort of a precursor to that. I would be surprised now if after the, you know, the hot hubs, the cold hubs, however people are doing it, that that, that model goes because it, it's so efficient to actually just have people going face to face um, to, to one place and you can have that place set up. I think it's a very efficient way of working. And um, I, I think that it will be useful for lots of reasons. I think that certainly in areas like mine, where there's a lot of premises that are um, not quite fit for purpose anymore. And I know that nationally CQC, you know, have an issue with that. And it's very difficult to know what to do because there isn't anywhere else to put those people at the moment. So I think that will be really good. We'll have less physical premises, but to a higher standard. Um, and I think that having a specialised area will make sure that um, in terms of efficiency and safety, you know, it's always going to be well kitted out. You're going to have everything you need or your clinical supplies and things. I, I think that can only be a, a good thing compared to what, what we're doing now, which, you know, where I work is 49 different practices, um, not quite so many different buildings, some share buildings. But, you know, we're talking about well over 30, 30 buildings, um, where I work, there have been plans to have bigger um, net, uh, buildings built for around a network type size, but that hasn't even started yet. I, I personally don't think we need it. I think that um, it's going to be more efficient with this hub type of working. And Fiona, have, I know it's really, it's, we don't want to jump forward too much, but has anybody in, in your camp been talking about the use of premises after this? We haven't started to look at that. What we have really been talking about is the learning and what we need to take forward from this. And I think that looking at premises will be part of that, thinking about digital, thinking about um, support, training, resources. There will be a huge amount of things that come out of this that we need to learn from. And, and I think premises will be part of that and thinking about the way that integration has progressed through this and whether or not that also impacts on our kind of capital needs in the future, whether there's greater integration between different parts of the NHS or across surgeries but I think it, it, it's too early to necessarily yeah. have that conversation but what we are keen to do is ensure that we're starting to capture that learning. Fazana, is the primary care network dead still relevant? I think it is uh, parts of it. Um, I think at the moment, if I mentioned the primary care network dares to my network or many other CDs, I would get hit on the head. <laughs> But what's interesting, Tara, is that the care home deaths that remained and the cancer deaths that remained, actually, without doing the deaths, people are doing over and above in the care homes anyway. If we think back to December, and it seems a world away, but it was only around Christmas time, we were all having uh, quite a lot of tantrums about the fact that this care home deaths, you know, really isn't going to work. And even the revamped version, people were not that happy with. With coronavirus, GPs and nurse colleagues and our primary care teams are doing way above because it's the right thing to do. People are doing their video rounds. I know of a practice looking after care home who are doing daily rounds because they're, they're daily virtual rounds because they know that some of their, their residents have been really sick. So 
all of that is happening and it proves to me again if primary care are left to do it we will do the right thing without being governed to tick lots of boxes so i think that the the des on the care homes is definitely being delivered i think the des on the cancer continues to be delivered um i think there are um additional issues like the additional roles reimbursement scheme um um, a, a personal example, I had set up a meeting with our community trust, but we've had to cancel that meeting because even the community trust is so busy. So I think parts of the, the DES will have to have a, a, a rethink in light of COVID. Otherwise, I don't think we'll be able to fill those roles and we haven't got time for training. But, but parts of the DES are, are very relevant. And the ethos behind network working is definitely coming into its own, absolutely, for, uh, across the country. Some are, I think, more ahead, some are less ahead. But network working is certainly here. I think without PCNs, we wouldn't survive in this coronavirus. Fiona, do you agree? Yeah, I, I do agree. I think the DES is important. And I think that actually PCNs came in at an ideal time and I, I think we've heard you know whilst across systems more generally a lot of people have been redeployed back into um, the COVID response actually the work that's been done across systems and across PCNs has really really helped in the response. So as we kind of wrap up one of the things I wanted for us to talk about is what's been your kind of key insights into managing a crisis if, if there's another massive crisis to happen again what advice I know we're still in the thick of it but as we are today what advice would you give to somebody else what have you really learned so far about yourself and about how to lead in this in this environment? Don't burn out in the first week um, I think this this insight is unusual in its long-term nature but I think because of the nature of it there was a real danger particularly in the, the first kind of couple of weeks of burning out going you know hell for leather really so I would advise that people think about their own mental health and their own well-being to ensure that they're there to support others in terms of the kind of wider leadership I think actually there's just something about checking in and recognizing that everybody's will be in a different place and maybe that will change on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week basis and actually being able to have that continued contact with people is really really important and I think it's really important that we keep raising the issues that we keep reflecting on what are the things that are affecting people making sure that we're giving a voice so that we do continue to feel that we're actually playing a part and making sure that the people working across the system and all of the patients are getting what they need. Fazana, how about you? So for me, I think it's a couple of things, Tora. For me, it's about know yourself. So I really needed to know myself. I needed to know, as Fiona said, what would be the things that I could do to protect myself against burnout. I realised that actually going under my duvet sometimes in the evening, you know, just to have a cry because actually some of my friends are really sick in hospital at the moment is a way to keep me going. If I need to eat another chocolate bar, I'll do that. So whatever works for you, know yourself. And I've enjoyed just embracing the change, knowing I'm going to make some mistakes and not being afraid of that. This is not going to be perfect. All we can do is do our best and learn from those mistakes and, you know, keep people safe, obviously. The last thing is make sure you look after each other. So um, it's the tiny little things, but on some of my WhatsApp groups, you know, if I'm feeling a bit down, I, I lost an 84-year-old. Okay, it's not a 
surprise, but I'd known her 13 years. She used to bring me a bar of chocolate every time she see me. You know, I remember her. I've known her. I'm a small practice. I know my patients. That that was it hurt. So I said to some of my WhatsApp friends, can you send me a joke? You know, so things like that to virtually connect to, to just keep us going and keep staff going. So let's not forget that kindness. Keep going with those things, even in unsettling times. It makes a world of difference to have those small acts of kindness. And lastly, what should we be thinking about on the horizon? Or is it, or can we just not because we just don't know? I think we should be thinking about the horizon. I think the, the things that I'm starting to think about the things that concern me. I think there will be um, a huge impact on the um, country, on on the entire world. And I think part of that is we need to start thinking about people who have really suffered during this period, not just health-wise, but economically. And we were talking prior to all of um, this happening, we were talking a lot about health inequalities. We were talking a lot about deprivation and how that links to health. And then there's a real concern for me that that will be um, even more increased as we go through this crisis. And um, I think we need to start thinking about what can we do now and what can we do to start thinking about how we really pick up on those issues as we come out the other side of COVID. Um, Are there things that we can be doing during this period to start thinking about how we work and um, how we protect people going forwards? There's also something around the mental health side of things, I think, there's a recognition already that there will be a huge impact um, on staff and on people working throughout this period and the things that they will have seen, but there will also be an impact on the nation more broadly. And I think we need to start thinking about the mental health impact on what we can be doing now during the crisis to try and protect people, but also what we need to be doing to prepare for people and the future as we come out of this. So I think there are definitely things that we can be doing and we should be thinking about. Yes, I agree. I think we should definitely be thinking about the future because there will be some innovations that we'll do that will hopefully stay. There might be things that we're doing now that actually we'll realise isn't such a great idea in the long term. So we'll have to have the courage to actually ditch those. But also thinking about how we can take some of the opportunities that we have now and widen our work. For example, hospital outpatients has all all gone digital and we're hearing that they're already very concerned about the backlog. Will there be a backlog? What would it be like if we actually had in a and an outpatient's virtual consultation, a GP and the patient and the consultant present. We don't need to travel for that. But doing projects like that now, that can actually enhance our learning, use that opportunity and help some of the bottleneck that we're expecting in the system and really have true population health management and what a great primary care network should do in terms of integrated care. So I think it can go hand in hand. I don't think that coronavirus needs to stop that innovation I think is is you know a positive from this pandemic I think that's a real opportunity. Fiona if people want to find out more about the NHS Confederation where should we send them? So uh, if they want to find out more they can go to our website which is nhsconfed.org. Excellent thank you both so much for joining me I thought it was really really helpful really really interesting. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, we would love it if you left us an iTunes review or if you comment, like and share it on our social media channels. 
You can find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. If you need support or you are looking for advice on how to progress one of your initiatives, please drop us an email so I can arrange a call with you so we can discuss this further. Our email is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk. We've been helping primary care networks with their development plans, helping them to make the most of their network meetings, sharing training resources. We've had questions like what do we include in a project plan? We have implemented network-based contracts across GP federations. We also support the day-to-day operational management of training hubs and have also got experience in setting them up from scratch. If we can't help you, we definitely know some people who will be able to help you, so please do get in touch. And that's just to remind you, our email address is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk or come and find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. <laughs>